0: Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We talked a little bit about weight loss. I got dangerously close to my high school wrestling weight, Uh, although I think my grandma could probably pin me right now (laughs) if it came down to it. (laughs) We've been making our way through uh, Ecclesiastes. And we've been seeing things like has already been mentioned, the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> we've been seeing themes of just what life is like uh, apart from God. And Ecclesiastes, in, in some ways, uh, can be kind of a depressing book. <laughs> and uh, today, the message is titled, Injustice, Death, and Oppression. So, um, but we're going to try to make it not, not as depressing as it could be. Um, but, but Solomon's ultimate message in this is that life apart from God, we just don't have a whole lot of hope. Um, well, and it's, we don't have any hope uh, living life apart from God. And so we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 16, and we're going to go through chapter 4, uh, verse 3. So, starting in verse 16, the first couple of verses, 16 and 17 of chapter 3, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every work. And we'll pause there for just a a moment. Several years ago, uh, I got selected for jury duty, and I'm one of these nerds that actually likes jury duty. Um, it was a two-and-a-half-day ordeal for me, and I got paid my 10 bucks a day or whatever it was, um, but, but I was fascinated by uh, just this particular case, but just it, in general, the process, uh, our due process. We, we could probably argue that here in America, we have uh, the best justice system probably in the world. Uh, Our justice system is not perfect, far from it, but probably the best justice system in the world. And I got a front row seat, this wasn't like a grand jury, it wasn't a huge case or anything like that, but it was uh, a gentleman who had three charges against him, and those charges were uh, DUI, uh, eluding uh, arrest, uh, and driving while suspended, and we had to deliberate as a jury After uh, the defense, the prosecution made their case uh, as to whether these charges, uh, you know, whether we would find him guilty or innocent. (coughs) And and the way that the the case went, the gentleman was driving a dirt bike on the paved road. So shouldn't have been driving on the paved road uh, out on the outskirts of town. And it just so happened that a sheriff deputy came in behind this gentleman and he was weaving in and out of the lanes. It was in the middle of the day. The dirt bike didn't have any mirrors on it, and so the deputy turned on his lights, but not his sirens. That was clear in his testimony. So it was unclear if the perpetrator even knew that he was being pulled over in that moment. And it wasn't until he went around a corner and weaved into the shoulder and hit the gravel and wrecked his bike, then the deputy pulled in behind him. And the deputy got on the bullhorn and addressed the gentleman. They made eye contact. That's the point where we knew definitively that he knew he was being pulled over. And he runs to, he got thrown off his bike and he runs to grab his bike and he's running away trying to kickstart his bike uh, that had quit on him. And uh, the deputies tackled him, chased, chased after him and tackled him and apprehended him, cuffed him, put him in the car. They had these voice recorders, the deputies did, they turned on their voice recorders uh, and we got to listen to basically 90 minutes of drunken belligerence on these voice recorders as they drove him into town and booked him into the jail, put the charges formally against him. And he refused field sobriety tests. And so they had to draw get a warrant in order to draw his blood. Well, that whole process took about six hours. And so by the time they got the warrant cleared to draw his blood, his blood alcohol level was below the legal limit, which doesn't necessarily get him off the hook. But um, the prosecuting attorney brought in forensic toxicologist from the state police, and I just was fascinated by this. Went through all the math and the science of alcohol dissipation in the body and all of these things, and <clears throat> just, just completely fascinating. But, but in the end, even though this was a, a witness for the prosecution, they left it open to reasonable doubt that the gentleman may not have been over the legal limit six hours prior. So really it was a better defen- uh, a witness for the defense than the prosecution. And then they both settled their cases. The defense, there wasn't much of a defense to be made. We went into the jury room and we deliberated. Uh, The driving wall suspended, pretty cut and dry. Didn't didn't have to take any time on that one. His license was suspended. Uh, The DUI, we ended up convicting uh, on that charge, charging him guilty. But this charge of eluding, the charge states that you either have to be in the vehicle or on it if it's a bike, And it has to be running. And this guy was neither on it nor was it running. And so even though it was obvious that he was trying to get away, he was charged with the wrong thing. And we had to find him not guilty on that particular charge. Now, the other two charges were guilty, but in my mind, this has always stuck out to me as kind of an injustice in the place of justice. Somebody charged him with the wrong thing and we we had to let him go on that particular charge. Solomon is talking about here that not only is there injustice in the place of justice, but there can be wickedness in the place of justice as well. And as great as our justice system is here in America, as much as it, it works more often than it doesn't work, it's still a system that's administered by flawed and broken people. It's still a system that's administered by sinful human beings. And so it's not always going to get it right. It's not always going to get it right. And so Solomon is talking about as he sees this under the sun. When Solomon says that he sees something under the sun, he's referring to life apart from God. And he's looking at the justice system of his day and saying apart from God, the place where you'd expect there to be justice there's wickedness, the place where you would expect there to be justice. There, there's a lack of righteousness. There's unrighteousness in these places where we don't expect them to be. And again, it's because these systems, as good as they may be, they're being administered by flawed and broken people. And so he comes to this conclusion. He says, I said in my heart in verse 17 that God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there's a time for every matter and for every work. So as Solomon is looking at just the hopelessness of the justice system that, that we live within, he's, he comes to a conclusion that at the end of the day, that God is going to have his final say. God is going to administer justice in a final way, uh, in a way that we don't see today. This has also caused me to think about over the last year, our family has walked through uh, a legal thing where where we've been grievously wronged. And the scales of justice tipped in our favor heavily, right? We we got a a guilty verdict in our case. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make the wrong things that happened right. At the end of the day, it doesn't alleviate pain. At the end of the day, it doesn't make the trauma go away. Even though we got got the verdict that we were hoping for and we got the justice that we were hoping for, it doesn't change what happened. It doesn't change the unrighteousness. It doesn't change the wicked things that happened. So we can take a little bit of solace that the justice system worked in our favor, but again, it doesn't make the wrong things right. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse, verses 19 to 21, says this: it "says beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine; I will repay,' says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Part of our justice system in our society says, an eye for an eye, right? A tooth for a tooth. You wronged me, I'm going to wrong you in a similar way, and it's justifiable because of what you've done to me. It might even be justifiable to say, I'm going to take two eyes for an eye just so you won't do this to me again, right? We understand that. I'm going to wrong you worse than you've wronged me so that maybe we can move forward without any more wrongs happening, and we justify it. But the Apostle Paul reminds us here that for the Christian, avenging ourselves is not part of the Christian call. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is not part of the call to the Christian. The Apostle Paul says, leave it to the wrath of God, because God himself says that vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And what we can take from that is that there are two fates, that that everybody's going to go to one one fate or the other, and those fates are redemption or damnation. Everybody awaits one fate or the other. Everybody awaits an eternal fate of, of being redeemed by God and spending eternity with Him, or eternal damnation as just punishment for your sins if you don't come to Christ. What the Apostle Paul is reminding us here, Solomon is reminding us that our justice system, as good as it is, it's flawed. As good as our justice system is, there's unrighteousness and there's wickedness that happen within that justice system. But God's justice is perfect. God's justice will come at the right time. And his justice is either redeeming every wrong thing about sinful humanity for those that come to him and put their faith and put their hope and put their trust in him. And for those that reject who God is, their their eternal fate is going to be damnation in hell forever apart from him. And there's nothing that you and I can do to our enemies that's better or worse than redemption or damnation. We can't affect anything worse or better than one of those two things and ultimately god is going to have his way and so the call from the apostle paul to the christian is that if your enemy's hungry feed him if your enemy's thirsty giving giving him something to drink and not being overcome by evil but overcoming evil with good and that kind of doesn't compute real well with us i don't want to do anything for my enemy you probably don't either. right? Somebody's our enemy because they've wronged us in such a way that we've labeled them as an enemy. And what the Apostle Paul is reminding us of in juxtaposition to what Solomon is reminding us of is that God will take care of our enemies one day. God will have the final say over our enemies and so we just simply don't have to worry about it and I realize that's far easier said than done. And so the first thing that Solomon is noticing is is injustice. Injustice happens in the place where justice should happen injustice can occur but we're reminded in Romans 12 that, that God is in control of justice And there's going to come a day, and we'll revisit this more here in a moment, but there's going to come a day where where God is going to make all the wrong things right. It's beyond our control. It's well within his control. Secondly, in verse 18 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. We'll pause there for just a moment. So Solomon is already kind of decrying the injustice of the world. And, and, and now he ups it a level. So not only is there injustice in the world, not only is there unrighteousness and wickedness in the place where those things should not exist, to make it worse, Solomon looks at humanity, and he looks at animals, and he says, really, there's no difference. Again, life under the sun, life apart from God, there's not a whole lot of difference between man and animals, but in fact, he reminds us as humans, we're, we're beasts. We're beasts. Survival of the fittest, kill or be killed, can be our mentality. Right? The rat race climbing to the top of the ladder, doing whatever it takes to succeed. But at the end of the day, Solomon reminds us that humans and animals, we all breathe the same air. We, we don't breathe different air. Humans don't breathe better air than the animals. We all breathe the same air. And at the end of the day, we all die, and, and we all are, are buried in the dust, buried in the dirt. Right? Animals may not be buried six feet under in a coffin like humans, but at the end of the day, we breathe the same air, and we live, and we die. And what happens in between living and dying is just the rat race. And then he says, how, how do we even know? How do we even know like who goes up and who goes down? Who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? How do we have any way of knowing in this life under the sun, life apart from God? How do we know that our fate as human beings is any different than the fate of the animals, the beasts of the field? We have no way. Like, this is depressing, right? There's, there's not a lot of hope in this, this life under the sun, this life apart from God. In verse 22, Solomon gives at least that maybe a glimmer of hope in life apart from God. He says, But I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? The best hope that we have in this life under the sun, life apart from God, as human beings that are not a whole lot different, according to Solomon, than the animals, that we breathe the same air and we die die the same death, the best hope that we have as human beings is that we can find a job that we like and that we enjoy. And the reality is if we really enjoyed our jobs and liked our jobs all that much, we wouldn't call them jobs. We'd call them hobbies. They're jobs for a reason because it's the grind right and so solomon says the best hope that you have apart from god is that you can find a job that you like that, that you can rejoice in your work because who knows what's going to come after you these jobs that we have and i'm not like it's good that we have jobs we should work we should have jobs we should take joy in our jobs we should work as if we work for the lord and not not for human beings right god has given us jobs so that we can provide for our families. like Jobs are a good thing. But Solomon here is saying that we don't have a whole lot of hope apart from God other than finding a job that we like. And if you find a job that you like, good for you. If you can spend a career working a job that you like, good for you. But the fruit of your labor, the retirement that you build up, the things that you build up to leave to your, your kids and your grandkids, he says... Who can bring him to see what will be after him? We don't even have a whole lot of hope in that. Let's say that you're wildly successful in your job. You have a great career and you have a lot to leave to your family after you die. How do you know they're not going to blow it the day after your death? We don't know that. We don't know that. So there's not a whole lot of hope here. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus has this to say. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. So Solomon says, what's the difference between humans and animals? We breathe the same air, we die the same death. Jesus here is telling us, Humans, Christian, you're more valuable than the animals of the field. Yeah, you might breathe the same breath. You might die like they do, but you are of so much more value than they. God takes care of the animals. God feeds the birds. God creates beautiful things, flowers and rivers and streams and mountains. And some of these things are here today today. And they're gone tomorrow as the seasons change. But how much more, Jesus says, will he clothe you who don't come and go with the seasons? And Jesus reminds us as as Christians, as those who follow Christ, that our anxiety should not revolve around What we should eat, what we should drink, what we're going to wear. And what we can infer from that is even our anxiety shouldn't be much concerned, even with careers and success and provision. What we should care about is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness because we're told that God knows that we need food. He knows that we need to eat every day. He knows that we need water to drink every day. He knows that we need clothes to wear. He knows even when the bills are piling up and the needs that we have before we even make those things known to him. He knows. And not only does he know, but he cares about those things. But we're being reminded here by Jesus to seek first, not success. To seek first, not happiness. To seek first, not wealth. Those are all good things but we're reminded to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we do that, life has a way of all these other things just kind of falling into place and taking care of themselves. And what this is not saying is that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we're guaranteed success and wealth and all. It's not saying that. But when we don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the best hope that we have, going back to Solomon, is that maybe we can have a job that we like, And then we die. But when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God just has a way of giving the Christian the things that the Christian needs. So again, not a whole lot of hope in life under the sun or life apart from God. Moving into chapter 4. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So kind of more depression here in this passage. We've talked about injustice. We've talked about death. <clears throat> now we're talking about oppression. This idea of oppression, it's kind of in front of us these days, isn't it? You hear all this talk about things like critical theory and we hear a lot about racism and systemic racism and systematic racism and all of these things that are kind of the hot topics in the news and hot topics among school boards and things like that. Well, way back in Solomon's day, a long time before now, he acknowledged, he says, I, I see The oppressions that are done under the sun, I see the oppressions that are done in life apart from God. He says, I see the tears of the oppressed and there was no one to comfort the oppressed. Oppression was happening in Solomon's day thousands of years ago. Oppression is happening still in our day, even in the United States, but certainly around the world. Solomon acknowledges on the side of the oppressors that there was power. Those who are able to oppress are able to do so because they're in positions of power. People that should be using their power for the good of humanity, not for their own gain, but even Solomon recognized in his day, the powerful are using their power for their own benefit and their own gain and to the detriment of others. Now, we could take a rabbit trail here and, speak specifically to things like critical theory and we're not going to do that today because it's not necessarily in the purview of this sermon, but but I will say this. The problem with things like critical theory is like there's no redemption. There's no redemptive value in this worldview. It talks about the oppressors and the oppressed and if you're oppressed if you're an oppressor you need to lay down your power. And if you're oppressed you need to fight to gain power. And what eventually happens is it's just a reversal of the roles and the cycle continues. And so there's no redemption, there's no restoration in these kinds of worldviews. And Solomon recognizes this so much so that he says that those who have already lived and died, they're more fortunate because they don't have to watch this. They don't have to look at the world and see the terrible things that happen. They don't have to look at the world and see the oppressions that happen but better yet even than those who have lived and died or those who have not even yet been born to experience this at all. This is a heavy statement from Solomon. This this is a big statement from him. It's better that someone who hasn't even been born yet, it's better for them because they don't get to witness this power dynamic and they don't get to witness oppressors having the oppressed under their thumb. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this in verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man or mankind. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And here's where God has his ultimate justice. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Revelation 21 is giving us a picture of life without oppressors and life without the oppressed. Matter of fact, it's giving us a picture of the one who has the ultimate power, ultimate authority, ultimate justice, and he's using that power that authority and that justice to make all of the wrong things right. He's using his power and his authority to wipe away every tear. Psalm 56 tells us that God keeps our tears in his bottle. In other words, he cares about the things that grieve us. And at the very end of the Bible, we're told that he's going to wipe away every there'll be no more tears. And there'll be no more tears because there's no more crying. And there'll be no more mourning. There will be nothing to flare up our anxieties, nothing for us to worry about. There won't be any pain because it says that these things have all passed away. The moment when God has final justice, the moment when God redeems or damns every single human being in that moment, Pain and tears and crying and death and mourning will be no more. They come to an end in that moment. And if that's not enough, we get to drink from the spring of the water of life without payment. We can freely come to the spring of the water of life without payment. And we're told the one who conquers, in other words, the one who has placed their hope in Christ, the one who has put their all in Christ, the one who has put all of their eggs in the basket of who Christ is and what Christ has done to that person, your heritage will be that God will be your God and you will be his child. Solomon decries the oppressions of his day and the oppressions of our day. And again, life apart from God, there's no hope. There's no hope. He doesn't, before in death, he kind of gives us a little bit of hope saying that at least if you can find a job that you like, maybe that's okay. But in this scenario with the oppression, there's no hope. He's like, it's just better that you haven't even been born than to suffer and to see the oppression of the world. but we have hope in Christ because of who he is and what he's done for us, that that one day all of those wrongs are going to be made right. All of the oppressions are going to cease to exist. All of the oppressors will be redeemed or brought to justice for their sins because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And all of those who follow Christ will be given access to the spring of the water of life without payment. So Solomon, in in this injustice, death, and oppression, doesn't give us a ton of hope of how life goes apart from God. But hopefully we've been able to paint a picture today for you to see that the only hope that we have in this life is that we live our lives for God, that we give our lives to Christ, that we submit to his rule, we submit to his authority. It's the only hope that we have. If we don't do that, the wrong things are not going to be made right for you. And so my encouragement to you today is that if you're here and you don't know Christ, the spring of the water of life is open and it's free. All you have to do is come. And if you're here today and you do know Christ and you're a follower of Christ, be reminded that this life and this world doesn't offer us any hope. Not a lasting hope anyway. The only lasting hope that we have is that we would continue to follow Christ and that we would continue to submit to his rule and his authority because ultimately he's going, to, he's going to be the one that makes all the wrong things right and he's going to be the one that's going to take away the pain and the anxiety and the fear and the injustice. And he's going to, he's going to make that all right one day for those that follow him. So be encouraged Christian if you are following Christ to continue to follow Christ. Be encouraged if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ. Today is the day to submit your life to Christ so that you can have this hope that we talk about. Father, we're thankful today. Thankful that you love us. Thankful that you care for us. Thankful that you do have our tears in your bottle. That you care about the things that cause us pain and grief and trauma and anxiety. God, we're thankful that that we don't have to as Christians go through this life with a fear of injustice or a fear of death or a fear even of oppression. We're thankful that we have hope that you're bigger than these things and that you're going to fix everything one day. And so God, help us to be encouraged with that today. Pray for those that might be here, might be tuning in that don't know you, that they would come to know you so that they could experience this hope that we have as Christians. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.